Hello and welcome to uh, the second edition of our coverage of the Darwin Festival. This is a, a great talk um, held at Shrewsbury Library in the Hobbs Room at the Shrewsbury Library, which is very fitting, of course, with it being Charles Darwin's uh, former school. Um, this is a talk called Darwin's Life, held by Nigel Hinton, who is um, a really nice chap after after getting to, to know him and and chatting to him a bit after the event and found out we we could very, very much do a, a podcast about this um, this subject. That would take a, a while and we might make it happen. I've got to explain um, that this podcast was recorded with a microphone and with a bit of distance between Nigel um, and uh, and the mic. Uh, he was also using a mic that he had by his side to elevate his voice across the room. So it doesn't sound... As, as crisp and as clear as I would normally like audio to sound, but you can still make out what he's saying. So you will learn a lot by listening to this. So if you enjoy this, let me know. I know it's not the best. And also about 45 minutes in, um, there's a, a point where Nigel asks, are you a fan? Are you not a fan? What do you think he's asking the people? Um, we, we'll recap on this at the at the end of the, the, the uh, lecture, and I'll let you know what they were talking about. All right, okay, Nigel, take it away, and hopefully you enjoy this lecture. Here is Darwin's Life by Nigel Hinton. Enjoy. So today we're welcoming Shrewsbury-based local historian and author, Nigel Hinton. He's going to talk about life and times of Darwin, and I'm sure it's going to be a really interesting talk. So we'll all sit back and relax and listen. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for that uh, wonderful introduction. And uh, I was pretty unimpressed with the welcome. So, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. How are you? I want a bit of uh, feedback as we go. If you've got any questions as we are starting, let me get through about the first 10 minutes and then just put your hand up if you've got a question. We'll save them. By about 2.30, I should have probably covered the subject, at least uh, the first part of his time here. <coughs> go on to other parts when he moved out of Shrewsbury. <laughs> now the aim will be to finish by one o'clock approximately, and then I hope we'll go up and have a look at the Darwin section in the library. We'll have a look at the top schools and uh, the chapel that uh, remains here. Okay, so Charles Darwin. <coughs> I've just got to check that the text working. Yeah, the topics that I'm going to cover today, you can see, um, mainly his time here and his work. I'm not going to cover the Beagle because. Uh, I mean, that is a subject worthy of uh, several lectures on its own right. I'll answer questions on the trip on the Beagle, and I may even mention the finches of the Galapagos, but not much else. Okay. Who were the Darwins? Who was Charles Darwin? And where did he come from? Has any, anybody got a clue from that slide? Have you heard of Erasmus Darwin? Yes. yes. His grandfather, Charles Darwin's grandfather, was um, what they call a polymath. That means he was good at many, many things. 
Um, the fact that he had about 17 children proves that he was good at uh, something anyway. But he wrote a book called Zoomania, which again influenced Charles in his uh, middle life, not uh, as when he was a child in Shrewsbury. Now, the Darwin family were very friendly with the Wedgwood family. We all do. We all know what Wedgwood is. Yeah. yeah, the pottery. Um, and the two were members of the Birmingham Lunar Society. Do we know about the Lunar Society? Have you heard of that? It was a sort of uh, a movement that rose uh, in the late 18th, uh, 18th century as part of the Midlands Enlightenment, and I would say they were, they were the leaders of engineering, business, and the arts and the sciences. They all came together and exchanged ideas. And that is something that we, didn't, we don't do these days very often. You know, if you're an accountant, you seldom talk to engineers or salesmen or designers. And what they've discovered is that if these people meet in groups, there are huge spin-offs, instead of a silo um, way of running a business, if you spread everything out and share your ideas, it's amazing what arises. Okay, so what was particularly good about um, Erasmus Darwin? Well, he was a medical doctor and he sent his son Erasmus to medical college, but unfortunately um, he didn't survive, whereas Robert, who followed him uh, in the sense that he went to, to Europe to train as a doctor, came back to the UK, um, he was a successful in his exams, qualified well, and came to Shrewsbury. And it's believed that uh, he found a home somewhere in St. John's Hill, we're not sure which house at the moment, and then later when the Crescent was built in 1793, moved across to that. Um, his father gave him 20 pounds and a horse or two. Not a bad start in life. Um, it's been suggested that his uncle gave him some money as well, so he might have had 40 pounds to start his practice. But what he did have, which was far more important than that, was the connections. And on the way over to Shrewsbury from Litchfield, they stopped in at the Hill Estate, and that was the sort of uh, connections that the Darwins started, when Robert Darwin started his medical practice in Shrewsbury with. So it was, uh, dealing with the gentry and uh, rather than the poorer classes, shall we say. Okay, now one other interest that the Darwins and the Wedgwood shared was that they were both members of the anti-slavery movement. And you may well have seen this med medallion that um, which were produced, and it raised money for the anti-slavery movement in the UK, and he also shipped some out to the States where they sold it there, and it made more money for the movement over there.
Let's have a look at the family tree. Now, what do you notice about the Wedgwoods at the, the top of the sheet? Yeah. Well, look, look at the name. Josiah Wedgwood married Sarah Wedgwood. Is that usual or unusual? At, at the time, um, it wasn't unusual to marry your first cousin. And uh, that's what Josiah did. And Susanna was the uh, daughter of Josiah and Sarah, and she married Robert. They had Charles, as we know, in 1809. Now, later, um, when the father died, in 1895, that was the point that uh, Robert got married the next year. With He was wealthy in his own right, having earned a lot of money as a doctor and from his money lending business. But he also, um, at the time, all the worldly goods transferred immediately to Robert. So he was, again, made wealthy by £25,000 of inheritance money that his wife had recently received. They married in London and then came back to Shrewsbury and they lived, continued to live at the Crescent. The children after that, um, around 1799-1800, they felt the Crescent was uh, a bit confining, so they wanted to get more space. So they found a vacant space at the top of the hill in Frankwell. And there he had uh, built what was used to be known as Mount House. I see a little on the door now, it says Darwin House. So uh, it, the new owner has uh, renamed it. Okay. Robert Darwin, as well as the house, had seven acres of land up in Frankwell. And uh, where the Darwin Gardens estate is built, that was part of his garden. And uh, it also stretched further down the Welshpool Road, um, going west. So they were happily married, and then a few years later, in 1809, Charles came along. And of course, uh, When's the 12th Saturday, isn't it? We'll be celebrating with uh, John King with our glass of bubbly at the Bellstone, perhaps. Is that still an open invitation? That's still an open invitation. It is, yeah. Yeah. Now, a few months later, having been born, I think um, it's been suggested that uh, if Mrs. Darwin had been organising things, the Christ 
the christening would have been sooner than nine months after the birth but uh, in November he was Charles was christened in St Chad's Church now why why was that why was he christened in St Chad's Church do you think it's, it's what people did his wife was a Unitarian which I'll uh, talk about in a moment but uh, just going back to St Chad's why was Charles christened in St Chad's Church remembering the date 1809 it was sort of 20 to 30 years before the main reform acts and it was those reform acts which allowed non-members of the Church of England to go to university so that's the key the key reason that he, Robert Darwin had his son christened in the Church of England. He may have had thoughts as well that he was going on to be uh, a minister in the church, which is in fact uh, what he, that was, that was the career path that, uh, the alternative career path that had planned out for him. <coughs> he hoped he'd follow him in a medical practice, which um, he did. So, on the outside of the Unitarian Church in the High Street, there's uh, some plaques which explain what Unitarianism is. And there's also a plaque with a few outline histories of the, uh, the building and the fact that Charles worshipped there with his mother. And um, let's move on. Make sure I don't turn over two pages. He looks quite cute in that uh, rough, doesn't he, with a bowl of flowers as well. What do we know about Charles's boyhood? Well, it was uh, idyllic, I guess, for the times. Um, around the turn of the century, the life expectancy in Shrewsbury for an ordinary pet for most people was about 30 years. If you were a child and you survived five years, you were doing well. If you survived older than 10, you were doing increasingly well. Uh, this picture was, uh, this painting was taken in when he was six. Or somebody, it's somebody anyway. But what did Charles like doing? He was an inveterate collector. Um, I was thinking back to my youth, and because uh, I can remember the time before TV and all the distractions that children have got these days, what did we do? We read and we collected things. Does anybody relate to that? Yeah, what, what did you collect? Grasshoppers. You collected grasshoppers. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I know on a holiday in Devon, I did collect those glow bugs. Yeah, so they might have been some. Yeah, keep them in a jar. Anybody else collect stamps or tin soldiers or things like that? Well, that's what boys do. And Darwin had a strange passion for collecting stones. He was, he was uh, that was one of the things he collected. 
but he's probably best known for collecting beetles and things like that. This is one of my own collection, found in the garden. He was interested in other bugs as well, and um, later in life he did write about butterflies. That's uh, one of the illustrations that was used. At, uh, down, at Mount House there was uh, a bed of primroses. The photograph was taken in January when they weren't uh, much in evidence, but it's still there despite the tree coming down and damaging quite a lot of it. What else do we know about his boyhood? <clears throat> he collected things and what sort of life did he have, do you think? Being the son of a wealthy doctor, he didn't have to worry about his food, he didn't have to worry about clothing or anything like that. It was uh, a life of plenty. And as he grew older, his hobbies started to include shooting, uh, which seems unusual for a naturalist, but uh, he was, became a very good shot and went shooting with his older brother Erasmus. The household, um, it was a big house, I've jumped two slides I think, but never mind. Um, I asked a young lady on a tour on Saturday what that was and uh, I mean has anybody been on a horse have you did you use a mounting post or did you have somebody to help so the leg up yeah so those were a familiar sight around the county and around the town as well because Dr Darwin Robert used to go around um, in a carriage and um, visited his patient in a carriage. Other, other people rode horses, some people had ponies and traps and you, you found the, what worked for you. But it was a, the average trotting speed of a horse is about seven or eight miles an hour. So you can't cover much ground. Um, but you can cover more than walking at three miles an hour. Okay. If you look from the entrance across towards Millington's, which is the arm, an almshouse, or a series of almshouses, there's a doorway cut into the wall. And that was done by Robert Darwin, or under his instructions, because he was involved uh, in the community, and Millington's was—he was a trustee of Millington's, as he was with other charities, and he was involved with um, finance and a shareholder in the Shrewsbury Bank. And when there was a bit of a run on it one day, it's said that uh, Robert Darwin went in loudly proclaiming, here's a £10 note I want to deposit in the bank. And that stopped the run on the bank. 
what happened to the bag? It got absorbed. It was absorbed, yeah. Okay. So that's Millington's. Now, with all this money that uh, Robert Darwin had, I said he, um, he didn't want for anything, but he made lots of investments. And he bought a lot of property, and he also mortgaged a lot of property, so he was a financier. And again, that helped when Charles got married, he was able to give him a substantial gift on, on his marriage. And um, with the money from the Wedgwoods as well, Charles Darwin never had to earn a living and he was free to, to, to concentrate on his writing. That was one of the houses. Um, gardeners. Sorry? The gardeners. Is it the gardeners? I thought it was the butlers. Oh, yeah. Um, again, at one moment in time, it could have been the gardener's house. The thing is, he owned a lot of property in Frankwell, and when there was a sale of uh, the Midner Estates, of, of which they owned a lot in um, Frankwell, Robert Darwin bought quite a lot of it. They increased his holdings. So moving on, on the walk down towards St George's Church, you'll see the remains of a shed. A fine, fine well-built shed. And here it's said that uh, Erasmus and Charles used to conduct experiments with their chemistry sets and things like that. And uh, that's suggested one of the reasons that he um, was nicknamed Gas at school. I'm sure we can think of other reasons why he might have been, but uh, that's what uh, was said. Now, St George's Church was um, at the bottom of Darwin's garden, if you like, and uh, it was important to the family because, as you can see, there was yet another Darwin Wedgwood wedding in uh, Caroline, Charles's sister. Just as a footnote, they, they were the grandparents of, uh, was it Vaughan Williams? Now, going on to school, um, when you, I'm just getting slightly ahead of myself and I'll come back in a moment. But um, when he went to school, Darwin was a day, was a boarder. So he, he lived in the houses around here, which I'll show you in a moment. But he did go home from time to time um, at lunchtime or before they uh, locked the doors in the evening. And this is what he would have seen. Probably in Frankwell, he would see the fellmongers because they're that's still there. And opposite, again, more of his father's investment property, I think, because I think that's probably 
that's been suggested as the coachman's and the gardener's houses. Now going back to what Charles was doing, um, you can see the sports going on by the Welsh Bridge there, but he would enjoyed his collecting in the quarry and he moved um, to collecting water, uh, amphibians and things like that, which he did in the quarry. And uh, I thought that was an appropriate photograph to take when the NHS to remind us in future of the uh, pandemic when we've all forgotten it. But um, obviously the quarry at that point wasn't a laid out as the dingle. Um, it was a ruined quarry, and that was an ideal place to go and search for um, bugs, a disused quarry, I should say. Now, above the quarry, we've got Old St. Chad's Church with its circular nave. And I'll come back to circular naves in a moment. But just next to that is... The next important thing in Charles's life, and that's uh, Claremont Hill, because this is where he went to school for the first time. He'd been to Sunday school in the um, Unitarian Church, or what became the Unitarian Church, but Mr. Case, who was the minister at the uh, Unitarian Church, ran a school from this building here. And there's a nice plaque you can read on the front of it if you uh, have an interest. From this angle, I think it looks quite a small property, but uh, when you look at the other side from the, uh, from the graveyard, you can see it's quite a substantial building on three floors and there's probably a cellarage as well. Just ask a question, as there are a relatively rich family and had six kids, why didn't they have a governess to teach us? They did from time to time um, music and things like that. But um, yes, they did. And again, I'll come on to how he went to visit his Darwin cousins to their um, tutor, if you like, and learn from them. So he was going over to visit his cousins in Staffordshire from time to time. Good, good point. Now, another key point that uh, Charles remembers in his autobiography, he says, uh, I remember clearly a dragoon being buried in the churchyard. Now, at the moment, um, I'm not aware that that tomb or gravestone has been found, has it? Mr. Um, Trooper Matthews it was, local man obviously being buried in St. Chad's. But these sort of things, um, when he looked back in his writing his autobiography, he couldn't remember much, um, for instance, about his mother who died when he was eight. He couldn't remember learning anything at Mr. Case's school and he couldn't remember much about his schooling at here but he um, 
it could remember a few things and I suppose that's the same for all of us really we might remember more now because we've got it all on um, film haven't we one thing he did remember was um, the dogs that used to chase him when he ran up to Mr Casey's Claremont Hill of course the road in his time was half the width it is today the uh, if you look at the location of Rowley's mansion if, if we imagine that's probably the same size the road would have been about three or four yards wide less than half it is now and all the buildings that you can see are uh, new but in this area there was a life-changing thing for Charles it was discovered this granite boulder we know this area of Shrewsbury is um, an area of red sandstone so what was a granite boulder doing being found in Shrewsbury and uh, Mr Cotton a man who knew a lot of things told him that the end of the world would come before anybody could explain why that granite boulder was here but within about seven or eight years Charles Darwin had learned about the action of um, glaciers and picking up random boulders in Cumbria and coming down to Shropshire and depositing them and once you start looking they are all over the place okay so he's now about the age of eight eight and a half nine nearly nine and his father decides that he should come to Shrewsbury school and as you probably all know there's a helpful plaque on the outside which tells you the history of the school and um, founded by Edward VI who at the time was a 14 year old boy is probably a bit of an exaggeration but it's certainly founded by the um, council that his father had appointed um, as a young prince he would have needed support and they they would have been the deciders but he was quite um, should I say forceful he did become forceful even though he only survived a year or two after this that's a picture of him looking rather grand Now at the front of the schools we've got uh, this rather magnificent entrance and um, the Greek uh, wording at the top says um, you, when you come into the school um, your, your head is empty and is represented by that hat which is open facing the uh, elements. You can probably guess what um, the other one means, but I'll come to that when he's finished school. 
This is a particularly nice illustration, I think, um, of below the castle, um, a very rural scene, isn't it? Quite in the centre of Shrewsbury. And if you look to the right-hand side, can you see what, is, what are called ball courts? I would suggest those are the what became the fives courts, which um, Shrewsbury plays and has got five courts up at the new build. Another view um, shows the old uh, entrance to the town, right next to the school and below the castle. And if you look, if you get a slightly more detailed map, you can see the castle gates of the time. Now, what did they think of um, Darwin as a pupil? Well, he got a very um, studious and uh, serious man as his headmaster. And uh, a prize-winning academic at Cambridge, uh, who later went on to get many benefices in the region and also became Bishop of Lichfield. But Dr. Butler thought he was a waste of time and a waste of space. He wasn't interested in uh, classics. He wasn't interested in learning by rote. He was still interested in the natural world and his sports and shooting and fishing and these sort of things. I'm not sure of the scale on that, but it's, uh, it's not, not too bad. the top of the building we've got uh, top schools and uh, that's where the sixth form met. We will meander up afterwards if you haven't been up there to have a look at and search for the carving that says CD on it. All the, um, the boards have been scratched by uh, initials of children and pupils. Samuel Butler's been remembered in stone, just over there. And these were the boarding schools, and you can see the top schools being at the top of the school. To the left is the, um, the boarding houses, and the way the masters, um, the way the boarding houses worked was that um, a sum of money was paid to the masters each term and that was had to cover the food and catering arrangements etc of all the pupils so it was in their interest to starve the boys and to beat them if they uh, complained and there was at one time um, shortly after this about 1822 there was a strike by the by the boys because of the poor treatment has it changed really the last two? Okay. So after his um, seven years at Shrewsbury School, he went out with a full head 
according to the uh, sculpture. But he had managed to do a few doodles. Now, you don't have to touch these, but these are provided by um, Robin Brooks Smith of the uh, Shrewsbury School Archive. There's things on both sides, but you can see Charles has practiced his signature and he's been drawing soldiers. Again, one of his memories is looking out across fields and seeing soldiers drilling. This was a time of war, of course. We were always fighting the French, weren't we? But of course, 1812, uh, we were at war with America. Okay. Let's have a look around. Um, when Darwin arrived in uh, Shrewsbury, the same year that uh, Thomas Telford came here, and they both joined the Masons, and again, that, from Robert's point of view, knew member of the town, that was probably a very smart business move uh, because it immediately opened a number of doors for him. The changes to the castle, have all, just diverting slightly, have always been credited to uh, Thomas Telford. But uh, Gareth Williams has suggested that uh, maybe it was Robert Adam that was the main contractor. Telford might have supervised some of the work, but he wasn't one of them. It wasn't the main contractor. Of course, there's no records to check. A few buildings that uh, were around that Darwin would have known had he remained. If he was around today. This is the St. Mary's Church where, uh, have I pressed the wrong button? And that's the um, so-called Drapers and Schools Chapel that has been used by the schools uh, for their um, annual I can't think of the word, but they have an annual service there. Speech day. It's speech day, thanks, Maggie. Now, after, after his father could see that he wasn't doing very well at Shrewsbury, he took him out and sent him to Edinburgh University, where his older brother was studying medicine. And after two years at Edinburgh, um, Charles Darwin, who I think was, from what he says in his autobiography, was a sensitive child. Um, he regrets that he wouldn't fight at school. The other boys in the rough and tumble were fighting and that sort of he, he would He didn't do that. And he's health of course was not as he wasn't robust I think that's the way I would describe it from what I've read 
and he spent a lot of time um, recuperating, resting, and he had a very understanding and supportive wife who, who did see him through all these illnesses. But um, he didn't like the operations in um, the surgery, surgery uh, at Edinburgh, so he, uh, he effectively dropped out of that. I was quite interested to read that um, when you went to university in those days, um, there wasn't a, a sort of a set, a set of um, exams you had to take. The, you know, it was you had to pass annual exams, but they could be in a wide variety. You chose which lectures you wanted to go, which su suited you. So frequently he skipped the um, surgery lessons and how to become a doctor and got more interested in um, the biological sciences and natural history. So he relocated to Cambridge. His father said, well, try Cambridge and you can become um, get a degree in divinity and become a parson. Now, while he was there, he uh, did enough work to get a degree. But one of the things that he said, what he, he recorded, that he particularly liked music. He wasn't very musical. He couldn't sing, he couldn't play an instrument. He couldn't even hold a, a tune, he couldn't sing a note, but he liked music. And of, as we may know, King's was particularly um, superb music college. And he said he used to go there just to listen to the music by himself. In his autobiography, he also says that he invited choristers into his room to sing to him. So we now got to 1831, he goes away and is becoming famous while he's away because of all the things he's sending back and his research is being published. But we'll now move on to Mayor Hall. Joseph, um, sorry, Josiah Wedgwood I lived in uh, Stoke at Etruria. Uh, Joseph Wedgwood II had this magnificent accommodation built at Mayor. And this is where Charles used to go, as we were discussing, having lessons, private lessons, etc., with the Wedgwood family. Now, I reckon that's 32 miles, and at eight hours, eight, eight miles an hour, it would probably take three or four hours riding to get there. But why not? He married in the church, which is just above the hall, in 1939. Excuse me, is the hall open to the public? N not that I'm aware of. 
it's a private residence. I, I'm not sure if they have special open days, but... Uh, so, the family tree, having got married, uh, we've got first cousins marrying, first cousins marrying, and of course, Emma Wedgwood was Charles's first cousin. So you've got three generations um, of first cousins. And Charles Darwin was concerned about this in his later life. He thought that the sort of inbreeding might affect the children. Of the 10 children, three died when they were quite young. But the boys, of course, in those days it was purely the boys that went to university, etc. Three of them um, were professors or lecturers at Cambridge. One was a banker and another one was, um, I think became MP for Litchfield, was a soldier and became MP for Litchfield. So they, they did all right. Having got married, he moved to London and then later out into the country at Down House. Because that was, London obviously is the place where all the Royal Society meetings are held and where all the science societies were. And um, London is still a big man magnet for all the talents that uh, grows up in the country, everybody wants to go to the uh, capital. Okay, so just very quickly, um, that's an image of him, but uh, we're not as familiar with as the old man sitting on the chair out in the front. Um, but in Shrewsbury, we've got quite a legacy of monuments. Perhaps we'll have a straw poll on this. Who likes it? Who doesn't, who's it not bothered? Who dislikes it? Yeah, I think um, it's a piece of art. It's there for discussion, if nothing else. But I think what I like about it is if you go actually into, into it, there's a very good interpretation board but also, um, there's a little path that reflects the Darwin thinking path, which has got all the geological periods on it. And you can see them laid out in a sort of circular park round that monument. But it was controversial when it was um, put up, almost as controversial as Darwin's uh, theory, which I've skillfully avoided so far. So that's an example of one of the stone slabs with the Devonian period. Now outside here, and outside in the various points that uh, some of which I've shown you this morning, there are these plaques in the floor. Certainly at the bellstone there is one. 
and uh, they celebrated the 200th anniversary of his birth in 2009 and Maggie for instance and I were involved with tours and plays and great celebrations and Bill was involved as well weren't you? No, not at that. <laughs> not at that one. No. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. It was great fun. Yeah. And uh, I think the the strangest monument, until you really understand it, is uh, this one at the top of Mardol. And. Um, you see these sort of funny, they're almost like bills, aren't they? A weapon, the bill, bill hook type weapon. Um, but they're three separate things which um, come together to make a whole. And I think that is quite a good analogy uh, for Darwin's theories that. Uh, he, he took random facts or different facts and brought them together to make the whole. So we've galloped through uh, 67 of the of his 65 year uh, of his 72 years and uh, this is uh, the plaque that was outside the former mount house i'm happy to say i think i'm happy to say we've got new a new owner who is putting investment in to make it into a business support center and it will become available to us for visitors um, at the moment tours can go up and be outside but we can't go in but that will change I think in the future they're planning to have a museum yeah okay well at that point I've covered my allotted span of time <coughs> um, are there any specific questions anybody has before we go up and have a look at uh, top schools and the ceiling in the chapel no well thank you very very much now. okay thank you, thank you. Nigel, thank you so much for, for that, that talk. I really genuinely really enjoyed it. I love all this Darwin talk. It really does engross me. Um, how, first of all, how long have you been so enthusiastic about local history for? It's an interesting question, which I've got to think back. Um, in terms specifically on in Darwin, I can remember going around Mount House in 1993 uh, being taken round by one of the valuation people that, that were there. The government valuation officers occupied it at that time. Uh, before that, I was very keen on local history because I worked with an American company. Ooh, interesting. Uh, Intercraft Industries in Telford. And in the mid-80s mid to the 90s, um, 
we had lots of American visitors and uh, in fact Bridget, my wife, used to take them round and I come along but going back to school days, which is a long time ago, that was when I was first interested in history but Shrewsbury history probably 40 years ago. Yeah, we were just talking about this actually, I was talking about you Suck and the, the stuff yep, that I, I do and um, how Americans seem to love our traditions and our history um, but I feel like even as a local you, it's easy to get engrossed, I mean um, I know that from personal experience, I mean I liked my history growing up but since I've started covering a lot of history facts and, and, and events, especially the Darwin yes. Festival I found myself getting engrossed into it, it's just so easy to fall into that net isn't it? I think so, you can't avoid it in Shrewsbury because of the, I mean we've got 800 listed structures including the, including the uh, pillar box in the square that's uh, one of our graded buildings and, uh, you know, in a small, relatively small town, that's quite a lot. Mm. And with the Darwin Festival, um, as it is, I mean, we, you just did that lecture for quite a small, a moderately small um, audience. Do you think this, this is a festival that should be bigger and, and more grand? You know, because Shrewsbury is, is, is a town that has something to be proud of with, with Charles Darwin, the history. And, mm. you know, do you feel like maybe we could we could do more maybe i don't know how's the best way to look at it i think uh, looking at the program on the um website at the moment the darwin yeah Shrewsbury, <laughs> uh, i thought i counted i think 25 events well when we did the 200th anniversary in 2009 that was again that was a watershed in terms of the publicity we got and dragged people in <laughs> willingly um, you will sit down and you will learn sir <laughs> you will you will learn about Darwin but he's again he's a very controversial character particularly in the states mm. uh, when you get visitors from the southern states shall we say of course yeah um, they're not perhaps not as keen on Darwinism as uh, the um, it's always going to happen when it comes to you know creation the creationism and the evolutionary you know yep. because it's that's that's just uh, one of those things we have to live with but i feel like even even i don't know i've always been even if i don't agree with someone as such i'm still going to sit and listen to the facts mm. of the other thing i don't agree with i don't know have you learned that there's there's people out there that may maybe reluctant to learn that that sort of start taking it in have you have you seen that a lot yes i think there's a sort of there's a, here's a quote for you. There's a mystery about history. <laughs> and in terms of um, gender politics, I have quite a few discussions as to why isn't it called her story? Mm. Because uh, whilst, yes, we've talked about Charles Darwin, in his autobiography, he's constantly referring to his wife and her, the support that she gives him. Yeah. And as we all, those of us that are married know that uh, we do, it, we're, we, Bridget and I are a team, we do tours together. Last weekend, uh, she did the Darwin tour on Saturday, I did it on Sunday. Nice. So we do, we share the research and we do, we did, we've done some um, Zoom presentations together. Amazing! I love that. Doesn't always work, but oh yeah, because we we can discuss things. <laughs> There's nothing better than a, a Zoom call that just doesn't go to plan. It's the worst thing ever. Yeah. Um, 
obviously um, with history we're constantly learning new things sometimes facts are brought back up and is this something that you relish is that maybe oh, there's a bit more evidence that I can maybe change the story how is that for you as a that that is the um, one of the main things that you have to know that whilst we've we've got uh, I mentioned earlier Shrewsbury Draper's company yes we're very fortunate that the records of the company some of them quite a large proportion have survived and they're in Shropshire archive which is just below us in the building yes. down there and I've spent many happy hours going through original documents um, four or five hundred years ago my Latin is not good enough really <laughs> but uh, once the uh, once we get into the 17th century and they're in English I can understand them so wow. again um, I'm looking for history of specific buildings and the history of um, associated with trade and industry because that's what drives uh, populations and if you've got a business or you've got an industry that brings people in and they can make money from and they uh, thrive and grow the, as a community the, the, the town will grow nice the area will grow the region will grow well you know what Nigel I feel like we could sit and talk for at least an hour about this I really sure I'd love to yeah. so I'd love to get you on the on the shoes we biscuit some sometime so we can sit and relax drink coffee maybe eat a cake I don't know and have, have a good chat how's that okay. sound for historians, all the talks usually end in cake, so that sounds really good to me. There we go. So it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a plan. It's a deal. Thanks for coming along, Alex. No, thank you very it's much. It's been, nice been really enlightening. Thank you very much. All the best. So there we have Darwin's Life by Nigel Hinton, and then there's a nice little chat with him afterwards. And as you can gather from us chatting away there, um, we could do so much. Um, we could sit and, and get a proper good podcast together just talking about this um back to my question from before the podcast what were we talking about about 45 minutes in when nigel says to the group are you a fan and people put their hands up and there was i gotta tell you there was a 60 40 split in the room as to whether people said they like it or not and of course nigel was talking about the quantum leap which is at the side of the, the seven next to the welsh bridge um, and this landmark is, is does split people's opinions. I quite like it. It's, um, it's it's like a rock formation meant to look like DNA, um, I believe, in honour of Charles Darwin. And, and I like it. I think it's very, very good. Um, a lot of people don't know. What do you think? You like it? Oh. Thank you very much for listening to this. Um, we'll, I, I appreciate the audio wasn't wasn't the best. Um, but I, I need to I need to make an effort to try and get something every day for you guys that can't make it to Shrewsbury for this event. Um, so whether you are listening to the show in Shrewsbury or whether you're listening to, uh, abroad, uh, I hope you appreciate it. Well, you can also check out our website, which is the shrewsburybiscuitpodcast.co.uk. All of our content is on there and it's playable directly off the website. Um, that's made for us by our friends at Web Orchard. If you need a website for whatever reason, Web Orchard will sort you out. If you've got a business, if you run a sports group, if you're a Morris dancer and you need to bring in more Morris dancers, if you have a band, if you run Etsy, whatever it is you need, Web Orchard will make the perfect website for you. They look after me with the Shrewsbury Biscuit and with my other network, You Suck, and it all looks and runs absolutely fine.
Thank you very much for listening to this. And we'll catch you next time. Peace out.